With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The stronger than I am, stronger than the two of us. Therefore, we must surrender. I will not surrender. He will make you, as he has all others. And you would be pleased to see it, eh, Janimard? At all events, it is true, said Janimard, frankly. And since you are determined to pursue the game, I will go with you. Together they entered the carriage and were driven to the Avenue des Ternes. Upon their order, the carriage stopped on the other side of the street, at some distance from the house in front of a little café, on the terrace of which the two men took seats amongst the shrubbery. It was commencing to grow dark. "'Waiter,' said Sholmes, "'some writing material.' He wrote a note, recalled the waiter, and gave him the letter with instructions to deliver it to the concierge of the house which he pointed out. In a few minutes the concierge stood before them. Sholmes asked him if, on the Sunday morning, he had seen a young woman dressed in black. "'In black? Yes, about nine o'clock. She went to the second floor.' "'Have you seen her often?' "'No, but for some time—well, during the last few weeks, I have seen her almost every day.' "'And since Sunday?' Uh, "'Only once, until today.' "'What? Did she come today?' "'She is here now.' "'Here now?' "'Yes, she came about ten minutes ago.' Her carriage is standing in the Place Saint-Fernand, as usual. I met her at the door. Who is the occupant of the second floor? There are two. A modiste, Mademoiselle Langer, and a gentleman who rented two furnished rooms a month ago under the name of Bresson. Why do you say under the name? Because I have an idea that is an assumed name. My wife takes care of his rooms, and, well, there are not two shirts there with the same initials. Is he there much of the time? No, he is nearly always out. He has not been here for three days. Was he here on Saturday night? Saturday night. Let me think. Yes, Saturday night he came in and stayed all night. What sort of a man is he? Well, I can scarcely answer that. He is so changeable. He is, by turns, big, little, fat, thin... Dark and light, I do not always recognize him. Janimard and Sholmes exchanged looks. That is he, all right, said Janimard. Ah, said the concierge, there is the girl now. Mademoiselle had just emerged from the house and was walking toward her carriage in the Place Saint-Ferdinand. 
and there is Monsieur Bresson. Uh, Monsieur Bresson? Which is he? The man with the parcel under his arm. But he is not looking after the girl. She is going to her carriage alone. Yes, I have never seen them together. The two detectives had arisen. By the light of the street lamps, they recognized the form of Arsène Lupin, who had started off in a direction opposite to that taken by the girl. "'Which will you follow?' asked Janimard. "'I will follow him, of course. He's the biggest game.' "'Then I will follow the girl,' proposed Janimard. "'No, no,' said Sholmes quickly, who did not wish to disclose the girl's identity to Janimard. "'I know where to find her. Come with me.' They followed Lupin at a safe distance, taking care to conceal themselves as well as possible amongst the moving throng and behind the newspaper kiosks. They found the pursuit an easy one, as he walked steadily forward without turning to the right or left, but with a slight limp in the right leg, so slight as to require the keen eye of a professional observer to detect it. Janimard observed it and said, "'He is pretending to be lame.' Ah, if we could only collect two or three policemen and pounce on our man. We run a chance to lose him. But they did not meet any policemen before they reached the Porte de Ternes, and, having passed the fortifications, there was no prospect of receiving any assistance. We had better separate, said Sholmes, as there are so few people on the street. They were now on the boulevard Victor Hugo. They walked on each side of the street and kept well in the shadow of the trees. They continued thus for twenty minutes, when Lupin turned to the left and followed the Seine. Very soon they saw him descend to the edge of the river. He remained there only a few seconds, but they could not observe his movements. Then Lupin retraced his steps. His pursuers concealed themselves in the shadow of a gateway. Lupin passed in front of them. His parcel had disappeared and as he walked away another man emerged from the shelter of a house and glided amongst the trees. "'He seems to be following him also,' said Sholmes in a low voice. The pursuit continued, but was now embarrassed by the presence of the third man. Lupin returned the same way, passed through the Porte de Ternes, and re-entered the house in the Avenue de Ternes. The concierge was closing the house for the night when Janimard presented himself. "'Did you see him?' "'Yes,' replied the concierge. "'I was putting out the gas on the landing when he closed and bolted his door.' "'Is there any person with him?' "'No. He has no servant. He never eats here.' "'Is there a servant's stairway?' "'No,' Janimard said to Sholmes. "'I had better stand at the door of his room while you go for the commissary of police in the Rue des Meurs.' "'And if he should escape during that time?' said Sholmes. "'Well, I am here?' He can't escape. One to one with Lupin is not an even chance for you. Well, I can't force the door. I have no right to do that, especially at night. Sholmes shrugged his shoulders and said, When you arrest Lupin, no one will question the methods by which you made the arrest. However, let us go up and ring, and see what happens then. They ascended to the second floor. There was a double door at the left of the landing. Janimard rang the bell. No reply. He rang again. Still no reply. "'Let us go in,' said Sholmes. "'All right. Come on,' replied Janimard. Yet they stood still, irresolute, 
Like people who hesitate when they ought to accomplish a decisive action, they feared to move, and it seemed to them impossible that Arsène Lupin was there, so close to them, on the other side of that fragile door that could be broken down by one blow of the fist. But they knew Lupin too well to suppose that he would allow himself to be trapped in that stupid manner. No, no, a thousand times no. Lupin was no longer there. Through the adjoining houses, over the roofs, by some conveniently prepared exit, he must have already made his escape, and, once more, it would only be Lupin's shadow that they would seize. They shuddered as a slight noise, coming from the other side of the door, reached their ears. Then they had the impression, amounting almost to a certainty, that he was there, separated from them by that frail wooden door, and that he was listening to them, that he could hear them. What was to be done? The situation was a serious one. In spite of their vast experience as detectives, they were so nervous and excited that they thought they could hear the beating of their own hearts. Janimard questioned Sholmes by a look. Then he struck the door a violent blow with his fist. Immediately they heard the sound of footsteps, concerning which there was no attempt at concealment. Janimard shook the door. Then he and Sholmes, uniting their efforts, rushed at the door, and burst it open with their shoulders. Then they stood still, in surprise. A shot had been fired in the adjoining room, another shot, and the sound of a falling body. When they entered, they saw the man lying on the floor with his face toward the marble mantel. His revolver had fallen from his hand. Janimard stooped and turned the man's head. The face was covered with blood which was flowing from two wounds, one in the cheek, the other in the temple. "'You can't recognize him for blood.' "'No matter,' said Sholmes. "'It is not Lupin.' "'How do you know? You haven't even looked at him.' "'Do you think that Arsène Lupin is the kind of a man that would kill himself?' asked Sholmes with a sneer. "'But we thought we recognized him outside.' "'We thought so, because the wish was father to the thought.' That man has us bewitched. Then it must be one of his accomplices. The accomplices of Arsène Lupin do not kill themselves. Well, then, who is it? They searched the corpse. In one pocket, Herlock Sholmes found an empty pocketbook. In another, Janimard found several louis. There were no marks of identification on any part of his clothing. In a trunk and two valises, they found nothing but wearing apparel. On the mantel there was a pile of newspapers. Janimard opened them. All of them contained articles referring to the theft of the Jewish lamp. An hour later, when Janimard and Sholmes left the house, they had acquired no further knowledge of the strange individual who had been driven to suicide by their untimely visit. Who was he? Why had he killed himself? What was his connection with the affair of the Jewish lamp? Who had followed him on his return from the river? The situation involved many complex questions, many mysteries. Herlock Sholmes went to bed in a very bad humor. Early next morning, he received the following telephonic message. Arsène Lupin has the honor to inform you of his tragic death in the person of Monsieur Bresson, and requests the honor of your presence at the funeral service and burial which will be held at the public expense on Thursday, the 25th of June. 
End of chapter 7.